everybody. What is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. Today, we're in Matthew 24, and I am joined by my good friend, Grant Wilkie. Everybody, how's it going? You already know what time it is. Oh, my gosh. Grant <laughs> is one of the biggest fans of the podcast. I love this podcast. And, it's an uh, honor to be here today, Emma. He is—I'm so glad. He is on staff. You work in pastoral care. I do work in pastoral care. And he is actually one of the smartest guys I know. And today, we are in Matthew 24, which, if you haven't read it, you should pause the episode, go read through it real quick. But we're talking about the end times. And there's a lot of tricky stuff in this passage. But what I love about Grant is that he's able to teach the principles that we need to understand it, but also get at the heart behind how we can apply this passage to our life. So Grant, what you got for us? The floor's yours. Emma, thank you so much for letting me jump on. Uh, Matthew 24 is a really confusing passage. There's a lot of unfamiliar imagery that really doesn't make sense to us. And how do you make sense of this? And why does any of this in Matthew 24 make uh, any difference in our lives? Why does it matter? And I think the answer is really simple. It matters because it's in God's word. We can't simply ignore the parts that are confusing to us because you can't have proper spiritual formation without proper spiritual information. That's so good. Can you say that again? You cannot have proper spiritual formation without proper spiritual information. Some good wordplay right there. Yeah. Uh, this is why confusing passages are really important, because they deepen our faith, they sharpen our minds, and they strengthen our relationship with God. I think the most helpful practice to make confusing concepts accessible is to break down big ideas into little parts. For instance, when we talk about the end times, a word that's thrown around a lot is eschatology. Now, take a step back. If you know what this word means, it makes a lot of sense to you. But if you don't know what this word means, it sounds like I'm speaking another language. And well... That's because I literally am. The word eschatology comes from two Greek words combined, eschatos, meaning last, and logia, meaning the study of. So this means the study of the last things or the things that will happen at the end or the end times. Eschatology is a big word that asks a simple question. What will the end look like? Now, we believe that God is sovereign, and we see that he's made many promises to his people throughout the Bible. And so another way to ask this question is, God has made a lot of promises to humanity about his plan for us. How will he fulfill them? There's a lot of questions that come from this question. God has promised to defeat Satan. How will he do that? God has promised to restore the earth. What about that? And Jesus said that he would return. What will that look like? And Matthew 24 and 25 actually cover some of these questions and raise a few others. This passage itself is called the Olivet Discourse. And why? because Jesus gave it on the Mount of Olives. This passage is central to eschatology, and in it we read about the signs of the end of the age, the tribulation, the abomination of desolation, whatever that means, and the second coming of Christ. And how you interpret these events determines how you think God will actually fulfill his promises of redemption to mankind. Now, I think it's important to say that there are a few different interpretations of this passage. Some believe that the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24 and 25, predict events that happened between Jesus' death around 30-ish AD and 70 AD, while others believe that these predict the end times, culminating in the second coming of Christ. Watermark holds this latter belief and teaches that these events are yet to come. This is often called the futurist view, meaning that these things will happen in the future. And here is how you break down Matthew 24 from the futurist perspective. 
Okay, so Watermark holds to the futurist view. We're sitting here talking about it. I know that we can go on the website and find the belief statement, but that's just a few sentences. It's not unpacking Matthew 24 in full. So can you help us understand what is that what does that mean? How does that viewpoint specifically play out in Matthew yeah. 24? Yeah. Thank you for asking that, Emma. Uh, high level, the futurist view is that God will literally fulfill the promises that he makes to the world, to Israel, and he will fulfill them on earth uh, through real, tangible things. And the reason I say that is because some views of eschatology believe that God's promises will be fulfilled figuratively. The futurist view is that God will literally fulfill these promises. But let me explain what that actually looks like in Matthew 24. Would that be helpful? Yes. Sounds good. So at the beginning of Matthew 24, Jesus' disciples ask him, how will we know when the end times are here? And Jesus gives them some signs to look for. At the beginning, he tells us that many will falsely claim to be the return Christ. They'll say, I am the second coming. And alongside this, We'll see wars and trials and natural disasters will begin to ravage the world. This begins what's known as the tribulation. And the tribulation is a fancy word for a seven-year period where God will begin his final judgment of sin on earth. The tribulation will be really scary. And imagine uh, the walking dead, but in real life, minus the zombies, but that type of world, apocalyptic. Mm. And during this tribulation, there'll be a man that rises up named the Antichrist. It's one of these false saviors that Jesus mentions earlier in the chapter, and he will gain political power and make a treaty with Israel, and he will break it, betraying them. He will then do something called the abomination of desolation, or as other translations put it, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration, or literally that horrible thing. I just thought that was a funny translation. Yeah, but that's easier to understand. That horrible thing. He'll do something horrible. Yeah, he'll do something horrible. This abomination will dishonor God in a terrifying way, and it will demonstrate how completely the world is turned away from God. You know, some people actually believe that the Antichrist himself is the abomination of desolation, meaning that this false savior himself represents a world that has denied Jesus as Messiah. I know, it's really interesting. And these ideas aren't only found in the book of Matthew. They come from the book of Daniel, which predicts the same things. The abomination of desolation, whether it's a person or whether it's a thing, will radically demonstrate the world's rebellion against God. They are rejecting God, and this demonstrates it. But after this, the tribulation will continue for a few more years. But at the end of the tribulation, in all its wickedness and its pain and its turmoil, Christ will return and initiate his reign on earth. And this might seem like it gives us a perfect treasure map to figure out when uh, when God will come and what his plan is, but Jesus actually makes it really clear that nobody can predict when this will happen. So, until Christ does return, he encourages us to stay vigilant and disciplined, training our eyes upon God and praying for his return. So, I know I, know I just said a lot, uh, but let me recap really simply. The tribulation will lead into, number one, the Antichrist appearance, number two, Israel's betrayal, number three, the abomination of desolation, and it will come to a close with Christ's second coming. I know this is a lot to process, and there are hundreds of rabbit trails that we could go down, but I think the most helpful thing that we could do right now is not just talk about the spiritual information, but talk about spiritual formation and how we can apply this truth to our lives. What does Matthew 24 actually teach us about God? and how we relate to him. 
And I think there are three really simple truths straight from the text that we can apply to our own lives. Can I share those real quick? Please. Awesome. Uh, first, I think that we see that God is just. Tribulation marks God's judgment of sin. And God hates sin so much more than we can possibly imagine, and he will do something about it. He's made that promise so many times. So when you cry out for God's justice to be seen in this world, know that you see an answer to that prayer in the tribulation. Because of this, you can trust God with the pain, the betrayals, the confusion, the heartbreak, the hurt in your life. God is just. He sees your pain, and he will not betray you. Second, God is faithful. God has promised to return, and, and he will. Regardless of what we believe about how God will fulfill his promises, Matthew 24 makes it clear, abundantly clear, that God has every intention of keeping his word. He will fulfill his promises to his children, and he will return for his church. Because of this, you can trust God with your hope because he's faithful and he will uphold his word. And third, God is sovereign. He, Jesus says in this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes my life feels out of hand and I get overwhelmed. I grasp for control. I think I need all the answers and I try to figure it out all on my own. But remembering that God is in control helps me slow down and breathe. God is sovereign and he knows what he's doing. God is just, God is faithful, God is sovereign. He will execute justice on sin. He will return for his church and his kingdom will come. So hopefully what I've been able to communicate is that understanding eschatology, the study of the end is not about being smart and it's not about becoming a better Christian. Eschatology is what gives us our hope in a good God who has made great promises to us and has every intention on keeping them. Thanks, Grant. That's all we've got time for today, but I am so glad we're on this journey together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.